my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, lots to discuss today. I was joined by my friend Eric Schaefer. It's always a good time talking to Eric, and uh, we broke down uh, lots of stuff. All, all coronavirus-related talk today, obviously. Um, yeah, before we get to Eric, guys, uh, look, I know you're bored. You're quarantined in your house uh, on a scale of one to a life sentence on Alcatraz. Uh, you're probably... Pretty close to Alcatraz board right now, but it's a perfect time to grow a kick-ass beard. Ladies and gentlemen, actually just gentlemen, ladies don't grow a beard. Gentlemen, uh, how are the quarantine beards coming? You know, post uh, post some pics on Twitter, use the hashtag quarantine beard challenge. Uh, let's, let's hear it. And now that you have an awesome beard growing, uh, you need to get the best beard oil on the market. Of course, I'm talking to our friends over at Man Beard Company. Man Beard Company beard oils have the appropriate amount of fatty acids, vitamin E, and vitamin A to keep your beard in great shape. Uh, It promotes even, strong facial hair growth. Uh, Effects are visible literally in just a few uses. You'll notice the difference in just a few days. Uh, It keeps your beard uh, strong and soft. Uh, It's not greasy. It's not oily. Uh, It smells great. Um, Really, it is the best beard oil I've ever used. You need to check them out immediately over at manbeardco.com. That is manbeardco.com. Dot com. Use the promo code NOGIMMICKS. That is the promo code NOGIMMICKS for a great deal on your order of beard oil. Punch the bear. Tame the beard. Man Beard Company. Check them out. And guys, please follow us on Twitter at NOGIMMICKSPOD. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with Eric Schaefer. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my boy, Eric Schaefer. Eric, how you holding up in quarantine, brother? Um, Pretty bad, Brady. I've gone clinically insane. Uh, <laughs> I need to be put on antipsychotics right away, or I think I'm going to uh, commit some very bad crime, like stealing the Hope Diamond. Or, I don't know. I, I just I need to get out of here. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, dude. I'm, I'm bored. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll love it with you. I'm pretty bored here in, in beautiful Toledo, Bro. Ohio. It's like 40 degrees outside. Can't even really go fishing. Me and my wife are watching that ridiculous Tiger King documentary. It's like, it's kind of bottom of the barrel stuff. It, okay, so for one, if you're bored, come steal the Hope Diamond with me, and, and we can have some fun. But number two, I watched that Tiger King documentary. Like, I got through all of it last night, and I mean, did it provide me with some good laughs? Yes. But at the same time, it's like I don't get all the hype. Like it was just watching a bunch of crazy people talk about tigers for seven hours. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not good. It's just we're bored. I mean, if the, if that came out under any normal circumstances, I don't think it would have gained the traction that it did. I mean, there's a lot better stuff on. Netflix. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, well, I, I don't know if I've given it a shout out on the show yet, but like I'm surprised that. So BoJack Horseman officially had its last season, and that's like a really popular show on Netflix. And barely, I think, 
not many people talked about it. I mean, it got a bunch of hype for maybe half a day, and then it died out. And then Tiger King has had memes and has been going on now for like a week or two weeks. And it's just like, you have to think that the silver lining for those people making uh, or releasing that once everyone was in quarantine is evident. Because I agree with you. I don't think it's good enough to stand up on its own without everyone being trapped inside. Yeah, I think we're all just pretending it's good to make us less sad that the world is not good right now. I think that's what's... that's. What, I'll tell you what stage of quarantine life I'm in right now. Last night I uh, rewatched all three of the Family Guy uh, Star Wars specials, which oh God. they still hold up, I will say. But since they used all the original music... Uh, from the original movies, I've now had the Cantina Band song from A New Hope stuck in my head for the last, like, 24 hours, and that is just... It's painful, man. I, it needs to stop. I, I, I can't handle this. No, anymore. man, that's a, that's a good song to have stuck in your head. It's you just, like, me? 15 seconds of music that repeats over and over. Yeah, just on a loop. <laughs> that's just been in my head, that 15-second clip on a loop for the last 24 hours. It's bad. All right, so that's what you hear when you start going crazy. Yeah, man. So let's let's get into some news of the day um, before we completely lose our minds. President Trump has officially extended the social distancing regulations until April 30th. Um, the original plan was a 15-day shutdown to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Uh, that's now extended to at least a you know, minimum of six weeks. Essentially, man, that means we're not going to be looking at a recession. When this is all over, we will be facing a depression, more likely than not. Uh, I mean, even shutting down the economy for two weeks would have had serious ramifications. Shutting everything down for a month and a half will be disastrous. We'll get into all of it. We'll get into the details. But look, man, I hope <laughs> I hope and pray that it's all worth it um, because I don't know. So I believe the statistics show that 60% of small businesses are going to have to close their their doors within three weeks of this sort of shutdown. So I don't know. I mean, does my whole question is I'm not super well versed on how much relief this government stimulus package is actually going to provide to each and every small business and by how much relief. I know the general amount that the, the government voted to kind of pump back into the economy in the form of bailouts and loans. And, but how long is that really going to hold businesses over? Like, is that going to hold them over for the six weeks that's required? And that's assuming I mean, the, the lockdown, because Trump seems to be totally listening to Fauci, uh, that assumes that we don't have another extended period of lockdown, of quarantine. So even if this if this bill were to give a bunch of st- small businesses breath for another extra three weeks past the three weeks that they were going to close down, I mean, I, I just – we can't afford another $2 trillion stimulus package. It's just – especially – if, if we get the level of pork that we have in the one that we're having right now. Like, l- listen, as a conservative, do I like large government ex- uh, expenditures? Do I like large government spending? No, I don't. But at the same time, this is one of the few stimulus packages, one of the few bailouts that I can actually agree with, because just as about every conservative, every cookie-cutter conservative, and every oh, actually a lot of libertarians are saying, you can't blame a business for failing when you, as the government, force shut that business down. You need to compensate them. So I understand the stimulus package. I do. I get it. And I, I agree with the concept. I don't exactly like how it's been done, but I agree with the concept. But again, the whole thing is this thing isn't going to save the economy from plunging 
plunging into absolute depression. It may I'll, I'll give it the credit it deserves. Let's say we only go six weeks in quarantine, which I don't think that's going to happen. I think it may get extended even longer because I think Trump is is seriously listening to the only to the medical professionals whose sole concern is basically keeping everyone inside until this thing is over. Right. Well, then again, it may save a few jobs if we get out of quarantine after six weeks. But and I'll give it that credit. But what if we extend again? Because like I said, we can't pass another one of these. It's not going to fucking happen. It's it's it is a very scary situation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think we are on the same page uh, in terms of the stimulus package. I mean, obviously, as a libertarian, I hate Keynesian spending no matter what for any reason. But uh, I mean, like you said, these people are hurting of no fault of their own. I mean, the, the government shut down their businesses by force. You know, they, they the government made the decision to put these people out of work. So this the stimulus package was designed to, to get the economy, to get small businesses, to get families through a month of lockdown, right? And if the economy isn't reopened, what are we going to do? Spend another $2 trillion every month until this is over? I mean, that's insane. Like, what, Are we, are we going to be looking at a, a $30 trillion national debt by the end of the year? I mean, literally, it, we can't keep writing checks for $2 trillion every month. That's It's just not going to work. And like you said, the Democrats are going to try to line the pockets of their allies and stuff every step of the way as well. So it's the pork alone is insane. Um, you know, the Kennedy center and you know, whatever abortion funding in Africa and, and all this stuff that they got in the bill. It's just absolutely insane. But, um, you know, if, if I were a Congressman, would I have voted for it? Yeah, because these people need help and, uh, they're hurting and it's not their fault. The government did this. The government made the decision. Um, so I don't know, but the thing, this is what kills me, man. This is what, this is what this is the frustrating part. We don't know how effective shutting down the economy will be. I mean, there's there's countries like Norway and Sweden who basically left their economies open, uh, told all old people, told people, told people that are at risk to stay home, told young and healthy people to go work, uh, and they haven't been hit very hard. I mean, that's anecdotal. I mean, these are tiny countries. I think there's only about nine million, ten million people in Sweden, something like that. So it's it's not really comparable to the United States economy, but. I mean, who knows? In South Korea, uh, it, it was kind of the same thing. They they locked down the old folks and the infirm, and then they told everybody else to keep working, and they got it under control. They also had way more testing uh, capacity than we did at the beginning of this. So I, I like I don't know. I don't know if it's the right call to shut everything down until April 30th. I don't know. Um, but like, what are we talking here, right? Like, if we would have gone with Trump's gut, which is basically just reopen the economy, tell old people to stay home after the original 15 days or something, like, are we talking a difference between 5,000 deaths and 500,000 deaths? Because obviously that would be worth it, right? I mean, even if we bring about the next Great Depression, if we're saving 495,000 American lives, that's worth it. Are we talking the difference between 20,000 deaths and 27,000 deaths? Because... A heck of a lot more than 7,000 people are going to kill themselves if we have another Great Depression, right? I mean, a lot more than 7,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 people will die as a result of a depression. So but so we don't really know. Like, And people are projecting all different kinds of numbers all across the board. Like, are we talking the difference between 5,000 and a million or 5,000 and 7,000? Like, we just don't know how effective destroying the economy will be. And if if we can't contain the thing anyway... And it's going to get bad anyway. I don't know. Maybe we destroyed the entire global economy for no reason. That's what I'm afraid of. I think the issue here, too, is that health professionals and 
economists, their interests, especially when regarding a pandemic of this level, are diametrically opposed. The economists, if they had their way, everyone would be going back to work and we would just let who dies die. And eventually their jobs would get filled with with new workers. That's kind of the cold calculated, calculated economist approach to this whole thing. Like if you were to just take a, a machine economist, put him in the White House to advise Trump. And then on the other hand, you have the World Health Organization. You have Fauci. You have what's that female advisor's name to Trump? I, I she uh, chided the media recently. Yeah, Deborah Deborah Burks. That's it, Deborah. Burks. I keep on wanting to call her Fairbank, and I don't know why. Deborah, uh, you, you have the Deborah Burks, who, if they had their way, sincerely, if they had their way, I know they're talking big game to the media, and I think they're intelligent people, and I do trust their medical expertise. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to decry them on that at all. I think they're very smart people who are just trying to do what's right and trying to advise the president in the best possible way they can. But the issue is, if they had their way, we'd all be staying inside for 12 months until a vaccine's out. That's exactly right. And that that, that I kind of want to talk about that in greater detail here. Um, I, I mean, Trump is being praised by most people right now for basically exclusively listening to the, the experts, the medical experts, Fauci and Burks and, and the other doctors. Uh, and the Surgeon General, what's his name, uh, Powell. Um, but I get it. Like, you're not getting—the president doesn't always have to listen to the experts. That's the thing. Like, I didn't elect Dr. Fauci, and I think he's doing a good job. And I, and him and Burks and Powell, these are, like, the greatest medical minds we have. Ben Carson, too, is on the task force. Some of the greatest medical minds we have on, on the planet working on this. I'm not doubting their expertise. I mean, they've forgotten more about medicine than you and I combined will ever know. I'm not refuting that. But look, man, if you ask a doctor their opinion, they're going to want to be overly cautious. James Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, knows more about war than anyone else on the planet. He has a personal library of over 4,000 books on the history of warfare. Okay? He is the expert, the, the global expert on war. I like Donald Trump's foreign policy a heck of a lot better than James Mattis' foreign policy. Okay, if you if you only listen to the generals, we're going to be at war with everyone all the time. Generals want to bomb shit. That's what they do. It's in their blood. Generals want to bomb. Doctors want to quarantine. If you take your car into the shop to get it fixed and ask your mechanic what you should get fixed, he's going to sell you a new engine. Okay? <laughs> like He's going to tell you every little thing wrong with the car, and you're going to walk out there with a $3,000 bill when maybe you could have just fixed apart for 150 bucks okay like it doesn't mean you know more about cars than your mechanic you obviously don't i don't know anything about cars i'm not going to claim to know more about cars than my mechanic but you have to weigh your options okay if if your engine might blow up sometime in the next 10 years maybe you don't actually need a new engine right now maybe you just need to you know have some patchwork done and get your ass back on the road okay so like when you're talking to these experts you're not getting objectivity here Okay, generals are going to want to bomb Afghanistan. Okay, that's what all of them will say, whether it's right or not. Doctors are going to want to be extremely cautious, whether that's right or not, for the future of the country. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm glad I'm not president of the United States. Like, I'm not even giving an opinion one way or the other. All I'm saying is, I didn't elect these, I voted for Donald Trump. I did not vote for Dr. Fauci. Okay, so we can't be led by the doctors. Like, the doctors cannot dictate policy. Mm-hmm. No, and I I agree with you. Listen, I'm not going to claim to be an expert either. I like you. I sincerely don't know what the best course of action here is. I have my opinions. Like my opinion on the whole thing would be to 
tell the infirm, tell the immunocompromised, and tell the old, the extremely elderly, to stay inside. If you have to, maybe issue some sort of executive order or some sort of policy, more, more so policy, not executive order, issue some sort of policy that would be bipartisan, even if the Democrats want to pack it with pork. I mean, you just you swallow your pride and you do it, depending on how bad the pork is. You pass some sort of policy through uh, Congress saying, listen, in this time of crisis, if this isn't a thing already, you can't be asking these old people and these immunocompromised people to go to work because they're at severe risk. You're putting them at severe risk and you could possibly be liable if you're forcing them to come to work. I think that and then aside from that, you tell people to avoid those types of people as much as possible, normal, healthy, younger people, because you don't want them to transfer the virus to the old, to the infirm, to the immunocompromised. And you kind of take a sweet approach and try and get as many people back to work as possible. Because my whole thing is the models on coronavirus from what I'm seeing, and again, I could be wrong. So I'm not an expert. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But at the end of the day, I'm not making policy. This is just my plebeian two cents. It seems as if every model on the coronavirus has been wrong. I mean, first they were predicting 1.5 to 2 million people in the United States could die. And then the mortality rates got adjusted again. And they said, okay, well, wouldn't be 1.5 to 2 million. It could be something more like 450,000, like you said. And now it seems there's a lot of medical experts coming out and saying, uh, probably not even 450,000, could be in the realm of 20 to 40,000, which is in the scope of, of or even 80,000, which is more in line with the seasonal flu or influenza. Right. So, and I'm not saying the coronavirus is the seasonal flu. I, I still think even if the mortality rate proves to be much lower, that's a stupid take because either way it is far more disruptive. But, and that would be the case even if we didn't shut down the economy. But I think what Trump needs, if he really wants to insist on listening solely to experts, is you need some sort of realist economist in there, like someone who is brilliant with the economy and who, who, is, who is a realist, who understands you can't just put everyone back to work. Also, at Trump's side right now, whispering in his ear along with the doctors, you need a balance. Because like I said, if you listen only to doctors – then everyone would be staying inside for a year until the vaccine's out. If you only listen to an economist, everyone would be out working right now. And who dies, dies. Like, it, those are both options. Now, obviously, destroying the economy and saving as many people as possible is more palatable of the two extremes. But we don't have to take one of those two extremes. There's a thing humans can do called moderation. And there's definitely the ability here to, to enact some sort of balanced policy that doesn't require, like you said – spending $2 trillion every month to keep, keep you know, at least 70% of the workforce employed. Because what we're looking at right now is, is a 20 to 30% unemployment rate, which is insane to me. I mean, that's insane. And listen, after this whole crisis ends, the economy's not going to recover quickly. I understand that. But at the same time, I think that... Um, it, it will recover once this whole thing ends. It will. You'll have a burst of recovery. I think. I don't think that 20% unemployment rate is going to last for for a long time if it happens. If it ends up coming to pass, but I do think you'll still be in a depression-like situation. Um, but because this whole situation was created by a virus and not specifically by bad economic decisions, I think you'll have some sort of. I think you'll have a quicker recovery in certain industries, not entertainment. Not, you know, because people aren't going to want to go see movies, not in sports, because people aren't going to be scared to go to sports stadiums. But I do think you'll see a quicker recovery than would be normally expected in certain industries that are more vital and don't require huge gatherings of people. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, the economy isn't going to recover quickly, but it will recover. I mean, guys like you and I in the entertainment business are actually going to be hit uh, significantly harder than, than your average American, unfortunately for us. But uh, yeah. uh, it will recover. Um, I, I just don't know if we're getting a balanced approach. Like, I, I just don't... I think either we're going to... I don't know, man. I think we're going to look back in five years and either the administration is going to be seen as as saving hundreds of thousands of lives or you know basically not preventing the spread of the virus anyway a lot of people die anyway and we just created the next great depression for no reason like i i i don't even know if like either one of those things will be correct i just think that's how history will view what we're looking at right now you know i just don't know like a lot of people are saying like i said a lot of experts are saying that Look, the majority of Americans will be infected with this eventually, anyway. So it's like, okay, if the, I don't know if that's true or not, who who knows? I have no idea. But if that's true, then heck, man, we should have just gone for herd immunity to begin with. <laughs> okay, well, we're all gonna get it anyway. Let's just keep working, uh, lessen the blows of an economic comeback by not sinking the economy to begin with, and uh, just hope for the best and just power through. Or not, or maybe we can contain this thing. You know, we just quarantine New York City, and you know, and we we hope to stop the spread, and we save a bunch of lives. I I don't know. I just I think this is either going to look really good or really bad in five years. And obviously, we're right in the middle of it, and it, it's tough to even like. I'm not even talking about the election in November. There's no point in talking about that yet. I know a lot of other podcasters are. So I'm not even talking about like political ramifications. Uh, I just think the decisions being made right now are going to be viewed as. <laughs> either a huge win or a, a massive failure. And I don't really see how it's going to be viewed anywhere in the middle of those two outcomes. So my thing is I do agree with a lot of medical experts. And again, not a medical expert. So my opinion doesn't mean shit, but I do, I do take the word of medical experts when they say most people are going to probably be infected by this, just like most people are, are eventually in their lifetimes infected by the flu. Right. I mean, I've been infected by the flu like two separate times, and it sucked both times. I hated it. Uh, but, but the issue right now, the reason why we're shutting down the economy isn't to prevent the spread of the virus because it's, it's – such a contagious thing that yeah, eventually pretty much everyone's going to probably get it or have some experience with it. Right. The issue it's is making that sure the healthcare system isn't overwhelmed all at once. Yeah. yeah. So the issue, and it's also trying to expand our capacity in the meantime while we're trying to slow the peak of of infection rates. So you, I, I do think either way, just because this is such a new virus, you would have more people dying if our medical system, because that's the difference between this virus and the flu. Even though, even if the virus in isolated cases turns out to not be any significantly more deadly than the flu. The issue is it's so much more contagious that the medical system could really cause some issue, or it could really cause some issues for the uh, for the medical system. So what we're supposed to be doing right now, and personally, I haven't been paying close enough attention to say whether the Trump administration and whether state governments are doing a particularly good job at this. I have the inclination that they are. But the the issue right now isn't that we're just trying to prevent our medical system from being immediately overwhelmed, but we're also trying to expand our capacity in any way we can. And uh, I mean, that I think that's that should be the goal. So I I do agree with like I wasn't protesting a two week quarantine 
maybe even a three-week quarantine, especially with the stimulus package, because I, I do think it's enough at the very least to keep a small business floating past th- like three weeks for a little while, or most small businesses. But now, again, that you're getting into six weeks into possibly into uh, into possibly 12 weeks here, because I again, I think this could be extended. I think people are underestimating how long this quarantine could go on with the track that the government's taking right now. I don't know. I just, I don't know if this, like I said, I don't know if this is the best course of action. I, I, I do agree with an initial brief quarantine, but I don't know how effective a quarantine measure is going to be at the end of the day and if it's worth the damage that we're causing to our economy in the long term. And I don't like that the media always attacks Trump whenever he takes the realist position of, listen, guys, I'm not going to put everyone back to work immediately. But, for example, Colorado isn't as, as hard hit as New York City. So why can't we lift some of these quarantine measures in, in Colorado since like half the cases are coming from New York City and like a fourth are coming from Cali or something? Why can't we lift some of the quarantine restrictions in states that aren't getting hit very hard to keep some sectors our, of our economy going? Yeah, I mean, and that I don't seems like, like how... common sense. That seems like common sense to me. Obviously, if Trump says it, he's you know Hitler and wants your grandma to die for some reason. But uh, yeah, I mean, 60 percent of the cases in the entire country are in New York City. I yeah, mean, it, it is. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't. I, I, I fail to see how that's a radical position. No, it, it's not. It's not. We don't need to put – I think Ben Shapiro said this. You don't need to put Idaho on lockdown because New York is 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 creating 60 percent of the cases in the country. It's. I think it's I think it's absolutely idiotic to, to – I mean that's one of the reasons why we have, uh, have uh, um, federalism and the idea of states' rights to begin with and the idea of states as these separate entities from the federal government – is because the founders recognized that each state deals with its problems differently. The same solution in Texas isn't going to be the same solution for a policy problem in Pennsylvania because the populations differ and the geography often differs. And a lot of the the issues that are facing that specific policy concern possibly differ. So I don't understand why we can't exercise some of that good old federalism right now, that good old, oh, each state is kind of its own unique body. And say, listen, New York, you do what you got to do. You're going to, I mean, listen, it's it's really bad in New York. Fine. New York's going to probably have to go into total lockdown for a little while to, to try and prevent its medical system from being totally overrun. But I don't see why that policy should extend to Colorado, to Idaho, to all these states that are hardly affected by the coronavirus right now and likely won't for the foreseeable future with all the travel restrictions that are going down in New York and in a lot of these states that have been heavily hit. I just, I don't see it. I think you're right. I think that's I think that's correct. Um, one outcome of all of this, uh, and Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas and and several other Republicans in the Senate have already started talking about this. We are going to fundamentally have to rethink our relationship to China and the Chinese Communist Party. Um, after all this is over, even the UK government issued a statement yesterday as well, saying that China must be held accountable for what they've done. Um, this is your daily reminder, folks at home. Uh, you are locked uh, in your house right now because of the lies of the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> this is 100% at the at the feet of the Chinese Communist Party. It is their fault. Um, we, look, man, I'm kind of coming around to like the 2015 Donald Trump kind of view of China <laughs> that we we need to bring our manufacturing back. At the very least, we cannot rely on communist China for our medical supplies, for our pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, it is not—for those supply lines to run through communist China is unsafe. 
Uh, it's frankly ridiculous at this point. We need to be manufacturing that stuff here in the States. Um, we cannot rely on the CCP for, for any of these things. Um, and we're going to have to fundamentally rethink our relationship to China when, when all this is over. So here's my take. I was – this is going to be a long take, so sit down, kitties. Um, but I was for, for isolating China from the rest of the world be before this whole thing. So when you think about genocide, real quick, regimes, real quick, and I, hold that thought. Do you yeah. think it was a mistake for Nixon to open China in the first place? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think that was probably one of. Everyone's going to probably disagree with me and go like, "Oh my God, he's way overreacting." But just like before anyone tunes out or goes like, "This guy's a nut," you know, just let me say my two cents. I think Nixon opening China, and I even lacking hindsight because we knew exactly what was going on over there before Nixon opened up China. Right. I think Nixon opening up China is probably one of the most immoral actions by a president. One of, I'm not saying the most, one of the most immoral actions by a president in U.S. history. So when we think of of genocides and when we think of genocidal regimes, you know, most people immediately shoot straight to Hitler. All right. Hitler was an evil son of a bitch. I'm not saying, oh. Hitler, you know, the Holocaust was any less bad than X and Y. But I am saying the Holocaust, when you think of genocide, is the premier thing you think of. How many people died in the Holocaust? About 11 million. 10 to 11 million, 6 million Jews. Awful. One of the most detestable, if not the most detestable, gross genocide in human history. And I, I don't like ranking genocides. So this, this whole thing, because I think it's immoral, but this whole thing is just in terms of numbers. So when we think of genocide, we think of the Holocaust. How many people died in the Holocaust? About 11 million. Mao killed six times that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like when you think of Stalin, you know, everyone sort of starts to ignore Stalin's genocide because I, I don't know why the hammer and sickle isn't as as stigmatized as swastika. Can, like people can casually wear that shit on a T-shirt and get away with it. Like Stalin killed around 20 to 30 million people. Yep. Mao in four years, in four years, Brady killed 45 million people in the Great Leap Forward in various purges and genocides. And that's. By the way, that's like the low end. That's just what he killed in four years. Yep. Mao's regime and the Chinese Communist Party in general are thought to have killed around 70 on the high end. I'll say that, but around 70 to 80 million people. That is one of the – I think that is – and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone out there who knows more about this stuff. But I, I have done a lot of research on, on war crimes and genocides and, and China in particular. 70 to 80 million is probably the biggest genocide in human history. It is. It is. When they, we uh, yeah. opened up... No, you're right, because Genghis Khan killed about 40 million. So when you're talking... opened up China. Mount Mao killed like, double what Genghis Khan killed. And that's... that's and he, he, At the very least, he killed more than Genghis Khan, and that's literally on the, on the low end. That's in four years, in the Great Leap Forward. Right. We opened up a regime, the most genocidal regime in history, one of the most repressive, oppressive regimes in history to the rest of the world. I think that that was one of those the most immoral decisions by a U.S. president because not only is that giving a a that's opening up China didn't just make our iPhones cheaper. I do think it cost a part of the American soul. I legitimately do because it didn't just make our iPhones cheaper. It didn't just make our food cheaper. It didn't just make our medical supplies cheaper. And I'm not saying that there's no positives to have opened up China on the economic front, but what we did was we enable we took an isolated. At, at the time, basically, hermit kingdom-like 
regime. China at that time was basically like North Korea to the rest of the world. No one was interacting with them. All interactions we did with anything akin to China were mostly through Taiwan. China was considered isolated from the rest of the world. Their relationship with the Soviet Union was growing pretty frosty. That's the whole reason Richard Nixon came in to try and pull them away in the first place because he saw their their chain of communication and their, their relationship was weakened. And he wanted to pull China away from the Soviet Union. In so doing that, we not only got cheaper products for, for ourselves and created some sort of economic prosperity in America, which is fine. That's dope. We chose to enable – and I do say – I don't use that word lately. We enabled and supplied one of the most genocidal regimes in human history. We gave the Chinese Communist Party one of the most evil regimes in human history the capacity to expand – because that's what economic prosperity brings to an oppressive government, the, 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 the ability to expand, the ability to kill more people, the ability to repress their more people more effectively, the ability to develop just like a Western power because America opening up China, opened them up to Europe, opened them up to Africa where that now they also exert their influence and are trying to cut off India from the rest of the world. We opened up an evil to the rest of the world and we allowed them to expand and become a superpower. That is, I think – that's one of the United States' greatest sins, and I will stand by that always. So even before this whole coronavirus thing, I mean, look, look I'm sorry I'm droning on, but I do got to say this. Look at the Uyghurs right now. Right now, there's about the, an estimated one to two million Uyghur Muslims in camp out of a population of 11 million. Yep. People are being starved. People are being t- waterboarded, tiger chaired. And I think I discussed this on the t- podcast before. But basically, what the tiger chair is is where you get strapped down and bricks are placed under your legs, and your legs are jutted so far up in the air until you. You confess to whatever fake crimes they're asking you to confess to. It destroys your joints. And in a lot of cases, people's legs will actually snap forward. Those are the types of conditions that are going on in these camps. And actually, they found recently that China was shipping at one point Uyghur labor, slave labor, out from these camps and into factories where they were being heavily monitored and and forced to work. And they, there was a list released that got went totally – it's just despicable. I mean I'm sorry. I do get heated when I talk about China. It's despicable and it's evil that the media – didn't cover this. They, the Uyghurs were being sent, Uyghur slaves were being sent to these factories that actually benefited American corporations. So there was like a, a list of 100 corporations that was released that were benefiting from li- not just underpaid sweatshop labor, but literal sw- slave labor from people from concentration camps. And the only co- company that bothered to respond and do anything about it, saying they pulled out of the factory where these things were happening, was I believe Abercrombie and Finch. That's correct. That's it. Yep. So. I mean, the fact that that went uncovered by the media, that American corporations are literally using genocided or slave labor is absolutely evil. So I think that we need to cut off China. I don't think that means bringing everything back to America. And I understand we can't cut them off immediately. That's unrealistic. But that does mean even if it means the price of iPhones go up by $5,200, even if it means that our medicine prices go up, even if it means that that we have to pay more for food at the grocery store store it's not worth losing our soul over and we i think that means establishing unilateral trade deals with different countries over a long period of time like listen why i don't get why we can't do what china does in africa you know what china does in africa they'll go to african countries these really impoverished african countries that western civilizations in terms of giving them loans wouldn't touch because they're too unreliable china will give them a big loan for an infrastructure deal or will build them a bridge or a new dry dock or a new wet dock and these countries will be in Debted to China, and China knows these countries will never be able to pay them back. So what happens when these countries p- can't pay them back? They say, "Oh, you know what, guys? Instead of paying us back, how about you let us use 
this wet dock that we built for you for the next hundred years and you don't charge us anything? How about you give us access to this exclusive trade route that you guys don't really give access to anyone else for the next hundred years and that's how you, you repay your debt? How about you give us access to this rare minerals mine that you don't really allow anyone else to access and for the next hundred years and that's how you'll pay back your debt. That's what China will do these, to these countries. Now, I'm not saying be as underhanded as China, but I don't understand why we can't go to certain South American countries, to certain African countries that China hasn't touched yet, to Asian countries that are actively trying to resist China's expansion, like Vietnam, and say, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you establish a factory here, a factory, two factories, five factories. We're going to, it's going to create a lot of jobs, a lot of economic prosperity. But we say at the same time, listen, with what these factories produce, like medicine, if we can't get all the medicine back to the U.S. because that takes a lot of time and establishing. But with medicine, with car parts, with microchips, whatever the hell we're producing in these factories, we say you give us – you can trade with other people. But you give us first and foremost the product if we need it, and at the same time you give us more favorable rates than everyone else because we're investing in you by building a factory. Can we all just sit back and uh, acknowledge that this is all Karl Marx's fault? <laughs> I mean – Communism has forced us to side with the worst people against the worst people for the last hundred years. I mean, you know, we side with Stalin against Hitler. We 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 side with Mao against Stalin. You know, we're siding with Saudi Arabia against Iran. And let, dude, fast forward ten years. Here's the thing. I know, like the American media uh, really really hates Russia right now, but mark my words, man, we will be Russia's best friend to combat the economic power of China here sooner than later. Like, that's the thing, man. Putin will be cuddling up to American presidents uh, and being our best friend to combat China, the same friends with Mao to combat Stalin. That's happening. We will literally be siding with socialist Russia against communist China, not even in 10 years, in five years, right? Like, we'll have all these trade deals with Russia and shit. Like, that, that's happening. Okay. So, I, it's terrible. And I think you're right. I think you're right. I think... A lot of this could have been avoided if we didn't open up China to begin with. And obviously there's the humanitarian question, like, you know, us opening up China did save millions of Chinese lives. I mean, they, every basic, basically every Chinese citizen, unless they were connected to the CCP, were living in abject poverty um, before we opened up China. So, like, I get that. And that's the, the case the libertarians make. Like, hey, we saved a lot of lives. Like, they're human beings, too. You know, free trade, you know, improved the lives of Chinese citizens. And yes, that's all true, but... Man, we're feeling the 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 negatives of that deal uh, to this day, and it, it's only going to get worse. One, one, no, more, yeah. one more point. One yeah, more point. Oh, oh yeah, go, go ahead, Eric. No, it's fine. I was about to say I don't disagree that it improved a bunch of Chinese lives, but at the same time, while we're arguing that it improved Chinese lives on, the, on a at what uh, at what uh, cost material level, at the, and not even at what cost to us, but at the same time, like like I said, and people can disagree with this, but it's just I, I rarely say this. Like, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. But anyone who disagrees with this, I mean, feel free to disagree, but you're wrong. It's just fact. At the same time as it improved the China, the lives of many Chinese people materially, and it's actually kind of debatable how many lives it improved. I know it improved a lot, but if you, you'll ask – if you can ask one of my friends who actually used to, to live in China, whose family used to live in China even after China was opened up, there was still a lot of abject – there's still a lot of abject poverty there. We like to focus on the big cities in China without also focusing on a bunch of the rural towns in China where I believe – I don't know if this is – still the case but i believe they're still given like for example a jar of oil to last throughout the whole year um and i, I could be wrong there but i know there's that this this idea that we've helped, helped save a bunch of chinese people from poverty it's true but it's also not as widespread as a lot of americans would like to think but at the same time while we offered this material relief to people again we also gave the chinese government 
much more ability by opening them up and allowing them to economically grow strong, we gave them a much better ability to develop facial recognition technology, which allows them to better oppress their people. We allowed, we basically gave them the ability to further expand and oppress their people more efficiently to put more groups of, of people who disagree or who, or who the Chinese government sees as threats or dissidents. We gave the Chinese government indirectly and we, we kind of enabled this kind of behavior by economically allowing them to empower themselves. We gave them the ability to put more people in camp. So, or, or, and to kill more people more efficiently. So yeah, while we did improve a bunch of lives of Chinese people materially, and I think that, like I said, there's silver linings everywhere. We also further enabled one of the most genocidal and evil regimes in human history. That's right. No, I agree. No, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%, 100% man. Uh, one more thing before I let you go, uh, and I do want to mention this just to close out the show. I've been very hard on President Trump's handling of, of a lot of these things on today's show and in the last few weeks. Uh, so, look, I know there's a lot of MAGA hat-wearing people that listen to the show. So let me just make my position 100% clear. Um, and I'm not talking about, like, I refuse to talk about the election in November. Just that we're not even, you know, I, I, there's a lot of podcasters like, oh, this is how coronavirus and these quarantines and how th- this is how it's going to affect November. We have no earthly idea. And anybody who's offering an opinion on, like, who's going to be elected the next president or how this is going to affect November. Anybody offering these opinions are liars because nobody knows. Ignore those people saying that they know how this is going to affect November. Just ignore them, tune them out and never listen to those shows ever again. So that's not what I mean, but I, this is my official position. So don't get it twisted. Ladies and gentlemen at home, I am just as committed to defeating the Democrats as I've ever been in my entire life. Okay. Like I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I shouldn't say I think because I really don't know one way or the other. I feel like I'm a broken record. I'm saying that over and over. I don't know if Trump is making the right or wrong decisions here, but thank God a Democrat is not in the White House. Or can you imagine a Democrat in the White House in a united Democratic Congress? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, look at the stuff that Pelosi's trying to get into these bills already. You hear uh, Representative Claiborne from, I, I believe, North Carolina. Uh, talking about how they should, the Democrats want to. I mean, he said the quiet part out loud. He said the part. He said the quiet part out loud that the Democrats should use this tragedy to basically remake the entire American form of government. Right? Basically, just end capitalism in the West is what they want to do. I mean, you'd be if if there's a united Democratic government right now, we'd be looking at permanent UBI. We'd be looking at the permanent nationalization of industry. I mean, we're, we're talking an absolute disaster. So just because I'm tough on Trump does not mean uh, I'm not as committed to defeating the Democrats at the polls every step of the way, because they've look when people tell you who they are, it's wise to believe them. And the Democrats have shown us they have told us who they are. They are a bunch of socialists. They want to destroy American capitalism. They want to nationalize industries. They want UBI. They want the Green New Deal. And they'll use a tragedy to try to make those things happen. So as hard as I've been on Trump, believe me, that does not mean that I uh, that I won't be voting for him. That that does not mean that I won't be doing everything I can do to stop the Democrats from taking power because, boy, oh, boy, uh, if you think it's bad now, if, if the Dems were in power, I, I can't imagine what, what we'd be facing right now. I mean, if a Democrat were in power right now, I would be... I, I guess it depends on the Democrats. So if it were someone like Tulsi Gabbard, I would be less so. But... It, if, it, if there were a legitimate Democrat in power right now, I'd actually be very – and let's say they had a democratically controlled Senate and democratically controlled House. I would be very fearful about what's to come. I, I mean I, I do think that – listen, I hate to be a both 
outsiders. Do I think Republicans in the past have taken advantage of crisis to further policy positions? Yes, that's a, that's a political thing. And am I, am I going to judge Democrats too harshly for enabling those same strategies? I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge Republicans for it. But I'm also a realist and just I understand that it happens. Yeah, the war in Iraq. But obviously. yeah, but with the policy positions that that the Democrats want to pursue right now and the growing radicalism of I listen, I still hold and people may call me naive. I still hold that most of the Democratic base is somewhat moderate. I do. But I think the issue is that's not the case largely now for a lot of Democratic politicians. I think a lot of Democratic politicians have grown more and more and more radical. That's correct. So with the way that with the way that a lot of them have grown more radical and with kind of the seeming blind eye or ill-informed eye, I guess, that a lot of Democrats have sort of turned to these politicians that they're electing becoming more and more radical. I would be genuinely fearful if there were about the permanent implications of federal government expansion. Because I'm sorry, even Donald Trump isn't. It wouldn't come in and shrink the government. Republicans, the best they do, except for maybe Reagan and Coolidge, where they don't shrink the government, they just keep it really from expanding. So I would be very scared about the implications of permanent, of what it would mean for permanent federal government expansion if a Democrat were in power right now. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. Um, they're not really hiding the ball, man. They're not hiding the ball. I mean, they're they're saying openly that they want to remake the American economy uh, permanently. So if that doesn't scare the crap out of you, then uh, you're not paying attention. Uh, Eric, where can everybody uh, follow you online, keep in touch with you, uh, make fun of all your hot takes and, and all that good stuff? Dude, my takes are not worthy of being made fun of. I have only correct takes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Real Eric Schaefer, and that's about the only place right now. I'm thinking of starting my own podcast again soon here, but no promises. But it would be like the Schaefer Hour 2.0. Uh, but yeah, find me on Twitter for any updates about a podcast and just to see my beautiful face and my takes. Everybody follow Eric. He's great. Keep on the lookout for the new podcast. Uh, once again, follow him on Twitter at Real Eric Schaefer. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.